0: Startle us, O God, with your truth and your hope. Move among us in this time of worship. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer, Once again this week, I had an experience that seems unique to this strange time of pandemic. I had planned to work on my sermon on Monday and again on Wednesday. Friday, I would make a recording of it for our Sunday worship video, and on Sunday morning, I would preach that sermon once again for outdoor worship. On each of those days we were likely to be at a different level of understanding with reference to election day. That was initially troubling to me, but I came around to thinking that regardless of the election outcome, my message to you was going to be the same. I don't have to tell you that we live in a time of great division. I don't know about you, but I could not wait for all of the yard signs to be removed this week so that we could stop identifying our neighbors by their party affiliation. No matter who is elected, there will be a lot of people who are very unhappy. And among some of them, there will be the risk of angry and violent reactions. Sadly, there will also be the risk of verbal and physical violence perpetrated by people who have won. I heard a friend say this week that elections are not a shortcut to justice, which is one way of saying that we cannot rely upon any election outcome or political official to repair the brokenness of our country. We cannot expect any person or party to do this for us. We must be ready to do this work ourselves. In light of all of this, people of faith need to put our trust not in the politicians, but in God. The wisdom from the gospel we'll focus on today is Jesus' words about salt and light. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? You are the light of the world. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand. Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. Salt and light. Salt gives flavor, and light shows the way. Jesus says people of faith do these things. He was not speaking to kings and priests or to presidents and senators, but to the regular people who gathered to hear his sermon on the mount you are the salt of the earth you are the light of the world he knew that they might be tempted to lose their saltiness or to hide their light and he warned them not to let that happen the same warning is a good idea us. The church feels to many like a small and shrinking institution with less public influence than we once had. So in the face of a divided culture, we sometimes find ourselves feeling powerless to help. But I don't believe that to be true. I believe that we are uniquely positioned here on a busy street corner in a regular neighborhood to make a real difference in the healing of divisions in our community. So today I'm going to encourage us to think about how in the days ahead, how can we be salt and light as Jesus called his followers to be? For preachers, there has been a lot of hand-wringing about what needs to be said on this Sunday. Two weeks ago, I found myself on a phone call with three other local pastors talking about it. We were a reasonably diverse group. We serve congregations over in Finneytown, in Price Hill, in Mason, and right here in Hyde Park. Our congregations have varying levels of political diversity. But there were things we all agreed upon. One of them was a sense that this is not a week for us to preach at, to tell you about what we think, or to share too much of our point of view. Maybe instead it's a good week to invite you to think about some of the things we've been thinking about, and to count on you to hear that invitation and to make prayerful determinations of your own. So for a part of the sermon today, I'm going to share three words, three ideas, that you might think about. These ideas can be applied in a variety of situations, and they may mean different things to different people. At some point, you might find that talking about these ideas helps to build a relationship with someone whose perspective is different from your own. But for today, I simply want to invite you to think about what these ideas mean to you. The first idea is safety. Safety. The pollsters ask people if their votes and preferences are driven by the economy, or the pandemic, or racial justice, or other things. But I wonder if beneath each of these issues and many others is a basic desire we all have for safety. Often, we think about public safety as something that is provided exclusively by law enforcement. There is truth to that. But as a number of people, including police officers, have pointed out to me, the police are often not on the scene until after something unsafe has already taken place. So, the creation of safe communities depends upon many other factors. Do people have jobs and the opportunity to secure and build wealth? Do they have a good place to educate themselves and their children with the hope of improving their situation? Is there access to affordable housing and to physical and mental well-being in their community? Do we know our neighbors? Do we know our neighbors well enough to expect that they are looking out for us and us for them? These are the kinds of things that create a sense of safety in the midst of an uncertain world. I would like to suggest to you that the church and its people can contribute to this sense of community safety this is one way we can be salt and light the second idea i'd like to talk about is value value One of the things I notice is how much our culture tends to treat people like commodities and not like children of God. Value is assigned these days based on how much you can contribute to the campaign. The stock market often seems to be the primary public indicator of whether or not people are thriving. The pandemic has highlighted the ways we often value our own preferences and pleasures over the safety of other people. And the pandemic has shown the great disregard we often have for for people who we have started to call essential, but still aren't really treating that way. And so many of us, so many of us, myself included, are tempted to write off and assign less value to people whose opinions are different from our own. The Church is home to a different story, a story that is better than the one I've been describing. It is introduced in the first chapter of the book of Genesis. Every human person is created in the image of God. Every human person is created in the image of God, so there is nothing more important in the world than each other. Yet the culture in which we live says that so many other things are of more value than other people. The church can be a witness to the value of all human beings, regardless of their age or race their stock portfolio, or their lack of employment, or their access to power. We, we the church, can witness to this story together. And each of us can do it in our own lives. This is a way we can be salt and light. The third. And final word I'd like to invite you to think about is peace. Peace. The Bible calls it shalom. Don't we all want some more of that? As we talked about shalom on that call I had with my pastor friends, one of us remarked that shalom does not exist without struggle. The Hebrews had to wander through the wilderness in order to find their promised land. Jesus had his own wilderness journey as he prepared for his ministry and was challenged and tested and opposed all the way to his death for his desire to share a better way of life. Even so, even knowing these stories, when we talk about peace these days, so much of the time we expect to get it by removing the struggles of life. We wish the people we disagree with would just go away. We imagine there's some kind of fantasy land in which everyone will finally come to see that I've been right all along. We choose not to engage in the problems of the world, because wouldn't it be easier if everyone would just God does want shalom for us, but not in the ways we might imagine at first. What does peace really look like, and how do you find it? What struggle might be necessary in order to get there? The Church has a story to share about what shalom really looks like. This is a way we can be salt and light. Safety. Value. Peace. These are ideas to think about, maybe in a way that could help us not to feel so helpless or powerless in the challenging days that lie ahead. I said I would try not to preach at you, but I will suggest a few things that I believe may help us in these difficult days. Pray. Pray for our nation and for its future. Pray for days ahead that will certainly include struggle, but that we hope will not turn into violence. Pray for people you may perceive to be your enemies. And pray for our church and the ways that we can be salt and light. Pray in the expectation that God may change something inside of you. Keep in touch with one another, and keep in touch with me in these days when we are so often apart. Write to me and call me and tell me what you need for me to know. Tell me how I can help our church to be salt and light in these days. And remember that I, too, am living through this pandemic with four little children, and I will get in touch with you as soon as I can. I miss you all so much. Value difference in our community. Remember to be gracious toward one another, especially when someone else's opinions are likely to be different than your own. If our churches can only be blue churches or red churches, there is little hope for the rest of the culture. Specifically, please be thoughtful in the ways you use social media. Teenagers are not the only ones who use it irresponsibly. Last week, a friend encouraged me to, a powerful short story by an author named Raymond Carver. It's called A Small Good Thing. In the story, a mother and father lose their young son. He is hit by a car walking to school on his birthday. Just three days before, the mother placed an order for his birthday cake from a baker who struck her as a curt and unpleasant man. When the mother and father come home from their marathon at the hospital, stricken by their grief, they get countless calls from the baker complaining that they have not picked up the cake. They owe him $16, and it's going stale. Are they going to pick it up? Filled with rage, they drive to the bakery in the wee hours of the morning, and they pound on the back doors where they find the baker preparing goods for the next day, and they unleash all of their fresh grief upon him. The baker slowly puts down the rolling pin he has picked up in defense and asks them if they will please sit down. Clearing a spot for them at a table, he begins to say how sorry he is, that only God knows how sorry he is. They sit together for a time, and the baker offers coffee and rolls he takes from the oven. I hope you'll eat some of my hot rolls, he says. You have to keep going, eating is a small, good thing at a time like this. They sit a while longer, and the mother and father listen as the baker begins to speak of loneliness and of the sense of doubt and limitation that had come to him, spending his life baking for the celebrations of others. In this story, Three people make an unexpected connection, each out of their anger and grief. They feel something, together. It does not remove the deep sadness over what was, or the struggles that would come along in the days ahead, but it is a small, good thing. And that is often how journeys toward healing. In the days ahead, I pray that we will be honest about our own feelings, and aware of the feelings of others, and that we will find small good things we can do to begin healing, to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world.